The Tea Health Show, your medical lifestyle podcast, brought to you by The Tea Clinic. Good morning, this is The Tea Health Show. I'm Dr. Mark, and in studio today we have my good friend and colleague, <clears throat> Dr. Vivian Jandera. Hi, Viv, how are you? Hi, Mark, all good today, and you? Can't complain, thanks, and our lovely producer, Simpiwe. Now... Mm. Um, today we're talking about a topic, Vivian, that's especially close to your heart. We are going to talk about macro major. Macromastia. Big boobs. You know what? I, I can never. I, I'm macromalia, macromastia. Okay. So we're talking about big, big boobs. So, big breasts. you know what? For a lot of guys, um, sorry, guys, this is actually about. Reducing big boobs, not um, enhancing them. And Vivian, we know that there are so many women with um, large breasts and this is causing um, a lot of decline for them or a decreased quality of life. Number one, it's, it's the pain factor, the chronic back pain, the neck pain, um, you know, with skin Issues. Just think about um, these breasts creating, um, you know, with a nice environment for eczema and intertrigo, which is uh, a bacterial infections and fungal infections under under the breasts, as well as the psychological effect that this has on women. And here I'm thinking specifically your younger girls um, with big breasts and some older women. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about how this happened? Is, is this just normal? Is, is, it, is there causes, specific causes of this that leads to big breasts or is it just genetic? Sure, Mark. I think it's mainly genetic. I think if you pick the wrong family when you come down to this earth, then you might just come out with very big breasts. I think a lot of people think that breast reduction is like a vain cosmetic procedure that just makes you look better. But if you if you don't suffer with it, I think you don't realize how debilitating it is to walk around with four extra kilograms on the front of your chest. You can't buy a bra. You can't fit clothing. You, whatever, however you look, you look overweight because all people see is this chest in front of them. Mm. For women, for a lot of women and across all age groups, if they work in an office environment or they work in an environment where they see people, nobody looks them in the eye. They yeah. just see their chest first. And it becomes a defining feature of that person, which is tragic. So I believe that really large breasts are actually a medical condition and they are a reconstructive procedure. Unlike what South African medical aid seem to think, I don't believe that this is cosmetic at all. Um, you, the relief from, from the back pain is phenomenal. There are people who live on over-the-counter pain medication daily who go for physiotherapy and some of their medical aides will pay for their back surgery that they need because of this later but won't pay for their breast reduction. It, it was very interesting because this is not a topic that I'm overly familiar with. So when I did some reading on this, um, you know, but the changes to the spine can include um, scoliosis and even uh, kyphosis. And that's, you know, what we, we accentuate the normal curvature of, of the spine. And this leads to the neck pain. Um, which leads to tension type headaches, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it can actually uh, eventually lead to um, problems with your disc spaces between the vertebra. And therefore, you said that the medical aids would pay for the backup, you know, with either a laminectomy or, um, you know, fusion. even a fusion. Uh, procedure where it can be something that could have been prevented uh, many years prior to that with less debilitating effects because these back surgeries are fairly high up. So it actually straightens the spine. Yes. And the classic pain that one gets with very large breasts is actually interscapular pain, quite high up. So you can imagine when it starts hurting between your shoulder blades and perhaps you've got a job where you're sitting at a desk at a laptop. Mm. By the end of the day, these people's shoulders and necks are in such spasm. You know, it's it's actually 
It's a, it's a real quality of life issue. So one of the other interesting things um, that I saw was the, and I've never worn a bra, so <laughs> is the problem that these breasts cause um, through the bra straps um, in, them, in themselves. So um, yeah. girls, can you enlighten us on this one? So most of these patients have really big breasts. I've gotten actual notches on their shoulders from their bra strap marks. And, you know, people with big breasts also, that it's not just a, a physical thing. People with big breasts, if you speak to a woman who's got very big breasts and needs to buy underwear, she hasn't chosen the color of her bra in the last 15 years. She's just taken whatever size is on the shelf that fits her properly. Yes. These specialist bra shops, um, yes. but you're going to pay like over 2,000 rand for a proper fitting bra. So it's really yeah. quite difficult. And it's also said that a lot of like women actually are wearing the wrong size yes, bra. That, yes, that so also that also plays a role. I saw that in, in, in my reading. Now, you know what, for boys it's very easy. You know, it, it's either tight or loose. That's uh, so nice. Yeah. That's nice. Like and, <laughs> uh, you know, what, when they get old, they become Venetian blinds. So um, how does it work for women with bras? Because I, I heard so much about choosing the correct bra size that actually fits properly is not something that most people can uh, do when you walk into Edgar's or Pep stores or just to bra buy a bra. It is difficult. And actually... <coughs> The whole science of making bras is actually more more complex than I realized until they published a paper in one of our plastic surgery journals. Oh, wow. For me, it's so, an over-the-shoulder boulder hole. <laughs> so, <laughs> There's so many different types of bras. So, you know? it's, <laughs> so it's quite interesting. Things that I didn't realize is that somebody in America went and they measured the bras in the four, four most common bra manufacturers in the States. They're not the same companies as here. And what they did was they actually measured 32A, 32B, 32C. And across the four bra ranges, the measurements were completely different. Mm -hmm. So there are two measurements you look at, the 32, 34, 36, 38. And that's a measurement that's under your chest. That's not really… What do you mean under the chest? Under it's your bra. Under your bra, bra under where the, your underwire so would be. Right, right <coughs> under, so underneath, it's under, under the, the breast itself. itself. So it's basically your chest circumference. It's your chest circumference. It's how much fat you've got. It's not actually the breast size. And and then you've got the volume of breast that then needs to fit into the cup of a bra. So what I didn't even realize until some years ago is say, I thought all A cups were one size, but yes. they're not. A 32A A cup is smaller than a 34A A cup. Wait, why? Because it's proportional to the size of your chest. Oh, wow. Plus in bra world, there's a concept called bra twinning. So... Some people you'll understand, you know, in some styles of bra, if yes. you're, a, say, a 34C, the 36B might look better in yes. that particular cut. Yes. So bras are complicated. They're not that simple. Okay. So <laughs> And then you still get like a t-shirt bra and like strapless bras. And, and a push-up bra. Yes. Okay, well done. Well done, Mark. Well done. Well done. I've tried that one. It didn't work. <laughs> okay. So we know that there's... Physical problems, yes. pain. Um, let's quickly take a look at the psychological um, issues that these women face. Well, I think they're sort of self-explanatory. If you can't find bras and all that everyone sees when they see you is your chest and they sort of put you in a certain category and either try to buy you drinks or... You know, it just mm. becomes – and to dress. You know, those women go into like a department store and want to choose clothing. Subconsciously, they've ruled out 80% of the tops on that floor oh, yes. because there's no ways that they'll they'll be able to wear any of that. So they're already working with 20% of that clothes market. And after the surgery, it's so interesting to the patients who say, wow, you know, I went into the shops and I could try this and that and I've never worn a strappy top and I've never worn a boob tube top. And I can't wait to buy bikinis. It's actually so lovely. You, the sort of psychological transformation afterwards is like phenomenal. It's, it's so lovely to see. Okay. Viv, um, we know that there's skin conditions involved um, with this. So this is your fungal infections. Yeah. Now, are they common? They are. They can happen, especially in hot weather. Because mm -hmm. if you think about it, if your breast is quite long and it's hanging down on your chest, there's a space between the back of your breast that's touching your chest wall. 
and it tends so to get, even even if you're wearing a bra, yeah, even if you're wearing a bra, it kind of hangs down, and okay, then so and it, when becomes you don't wear, it becomes and sweaty irritated. and hot and irritated. You can get a fungal <coughs> infection, and a lot and of women those are difficult to treat. They are, and they can also form hyperpigmentation, especially in our darker skin patients, okay. and actually qu leave quite ugly marks actually underneath between the bottom skin just below the bottom of the breast okay so i have to ask a question and you know what i think there's so many guys out there um that can't care about the answer they just like them is how big is big what what do, what makes big boobs um what size do you have to be to say okay you have large breasts or is it subjective for yourself it's to some degree subjective for yourself, but there are people, you know, if you don't have friends like that and you're not a doctor, you wouldn't know, but there are people with huge boobs out there. It's not like really difficult to work out that that's a problem. We do do certain measurements when we examine mm -hmm. the patients, but really people, you know, you see these support groups on Facebook. There's one called Best Breast Reduction Support and you just hear how much the people are struggling. It's got a huge psychological impact. Okay. So... Now I want to go into the nitty-gritty of this. This is often seen as um, a cosmetic procedure, but it's not. It's, it's reconstructive. It's a medical procedure for a, for a condition that you happen to be born with. So at the moment, we see that... You know, at medical aids don't even want to pay for certain blood tests without a referral letter. And, and I get that every day. So how do they not realize this? You know, it's very difficult to understand how historically this has come about. And I wonder if large breasts were on men, we wouldn't have sorted out this <laughs> issue a very long time ago. No, but, uh, with men, the bigger, the better. When it comes to us, No, that's such a stereotype, Mark. <laughs> really. For men, men meet their, or measure their masculinity oh, by no, the size of the willies. Oh, yeah, by the, yes, okay, I so, by the size you know, of the breast. When it comes no, to, it for men, the bigger, the better. No, it doesn't work like that with women. Okay. okay. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, Sorry, girls. Okay, we're now completely off topic and I can't remember what you asked me. <laughs> no, it's, it's, you said historically, yeah. um, you know, so this has medical, been an issue. So medical aids have not been paid for paying for breast reductions. There are a couple of medical aids in the country who do pay for breast reductions. Terms and conditions apply <laughs> and some of the funding is only partial. But patients are grateful even for some help. But they're usually quite a strict set of criteria that you have to um, fulfill in order to qualify for a funding-assisted breast reduction. So that's a certain size, okay, which is usually quite large, which we do on measurements, okay. Um, a body mass index that's within normal uh, limits, usually below 30, because it then becomes lower-risk surgery, um, yeah, yeah, you know what? I, I, I hate that concept of body, body mass index. Um, you know what? Mark, if you're uh, 1.5 meters high and you weigh 140 kilograms, okay. your breasts will be big. Okay, but will they not be big if you lose the weight? I have a patient at the moment who weighed 123 kilograms and wanted to have a breast reduction. And we've chatted probably over the last 18 months and her weight is down to 94 and we've just written to the medical aid and we're waiting to hear whether they're going to pay for her breast reduction. And her breasts have changed size. They're still very big, but they definitely have changed size with that weight loss. Okay. I, in my mind, it's almost like, um, you know, if you're overweight, because we know that there's a lot of fatty tissue, that, that's what makes yeah. up the majority of, of breast tissue. Um, if you then lose the weight... Yes, there'll be less fatty tissue, but won't they become pendulous and even more cumbersome? Yes, they will. So breasts breast are different. Depends on what's going on with you hormonally, which is really your thing, Mark. If you see very young girls, they often most of that mass is actually it can be hard and firm. It's, it's actually glandular breast glandular tissue. tissue. Yeah. And as you get closer to menopause, so it gets replaced by fattier tissue. But having said that, I've done um, breast reductions on older women who have got a lot of glandular tissue. You know, there's also the concept that if you think about women that they, like, 
if they've got a family, they often tend to put themselves last. So first they have kids and then the kids must go to school and then they must go to varsity and then the kids start standing on their own two feet and they're 55 and now they've got time to come and do the breast reduction. And it's mm. really their first opportunity they've ever had mm. and, and they love it. Yeah. Okay. Now, you together with Divine Medical um, started an initiative okay. to bring breast reduction surgery closer to people. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about this? Well, this was the brainchild of Donovan Fasaki, who's the owner of Divine Medical. He's in business in Turkey at the moment. He really wanted to be here today. And he came up to me and he said, Viv, isn't there something that we can do to help these patients? So we sat together and I have to give him the credit. This was his brainchild. This was his idea. So what we identified was we've got three sets of people. Mm -hmm. We've got people who can only access the state because they're not on medical aid. They do do breast reductions as part of plastic surgery training in the university hospitals. But, but I, it, it, it must be very few and far between. Well, it's planned often, but then the next gunshot liver comes in and then you get bumped off the theater list. So there's sure. a there's a hierarchy. Any, there's a hierarchy and breast yeah. reduction doesn't fall very high on the hierarchy. Okay. Then at the other end of the spectrum, you've got someone who's on a quite a decent medical aid, but for actuarial geniuses in the medical aid, decided that they're not funding breast reduction and so they're not going to pay for that. And then there's a forgotten group in the middle that I, that I always talk about. So say you are earning, but you're not earning a lot. So you're either on a very low medical aid plan or you're not on a medical aid plan at all. So you actually you, you earn a salary so you can't really access the state, mm -hmm. but you don't your medical aid is not good enough to pay and you don't earn enough to ever be able to save enough to do it privately. Sure. Which is now becoming the majority, majority of, of people. people. So now we have three groups of people. So it doesn't matter where you are, you stand a chance of never having your reduction done. Mm -hmm. So um, Donovan came up with the idea and we've called it the Divine Medical because that's his company, Breast Reduction Initiative where we're starting, it's sort of like a charity, okay, where what I'm doing as a medical director is I'm going to try to, um, we've got about 180 plastic surgeons in the country. So I reckon if I can get 100 of them on board, and all I'm going to say to them is, please will you do one breast reduction a year for free? Okay. okay. So in your own hospital, so you're going to provide, you're going to see the patient before and after, you're going to provide the surgery, you're going to bring your assistant and your anaesthetist for free. Okay, that leaves us only the hospital bill to pay. And the Breast Reduction Initiative hopes to secure enough funding to either go to the hospital and negotiate for a lesser fee or a freebie, that would be nice, um, and then pay for that, um, for that reduction. And if we did that, we could add, a, we could conservatively, if we've got 100 surgeons, do 100 breast reductions a year. Now, I've been chatting around to my colleagues for the last year about this. I haven't met one plastic surgeon who said they wouldn't do it. So it's simple. You're doing a whole theater list. You just put one breast reduction on a list. I think people who get asked to do one a year would probably do two a year. But let's, I just worked on conservative figures on mm -hmm. taking half the plastic surgeons coming on board. Yeah. And I think that would help quite a bit. And I think it's... It's we've got it's there's been an amazing response to this. Donovan's got lawyers who prepare to draw up all our legal documents pro Deo. We're busy negotiating with an insurance company and we're, we're nearly there about a about an insurance policy that could cover the patient for six weeks after in case they had to go back to theatre. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to cross our T's and dot our I's before we actually start. It's quite a lot of work setting it up. But I just think it's an amazing initiative and amazing like thought of Donovan to have come up with this. So that's why I'm fully behind him and supporting him. You know what? I think this is an amazing thing. I, um, if, we, if we look at the incidence of this, especially for that group in the middle and, you know what, the patients who are working for the state or, or, or who need to depend on state mm hospitals for any kind of uh, procedures, um, this, this could be an absolute game changer. I want to ask you a question and you know what, I hope that you don't hit me over the head because of this. For the plastic and reconstructive surgeons currently training, could this be rolled out towards 
them and government institutions so that, you know, that they get more and more training in this. Um, I know that theatrists in government institutions is the problem, but um, do you guys think that, um, you know, that, that might be a, a, a way of getting more people involved and um, uh, allowing more people to access this? Not, not really, Mark, because there are systems in place, and there are. I think of all the cosmetic, cosmetic, all the plastic surgery, so-called cosmetic procedures that are being done. Our plastic surgeons are really well trained in breast reductions. We do a lot of breast reductions in our training. The problem is theatre time. There are a number of theatres at the hospital you work with a finite number of hours in the day, and a finite amount of nursing staff, consumables, mm. anaesthetists. So it's. It's the fact that the state can't service this need that we would like to try and help a little bit with this initiative. Okay. It's, it's actually sad that our healthcare systems are so overwhelmed. It is. Um, Viv, what is the cost of a breast reduction in, in a private, um, private setting? Pra- practice. I think you're looking at total cost of about 80,000 rand. That's... That would be your hospital, your anaesthetist, your one night in hospital, your follow-up, an assistant, the surgical fee. You're looking at around that amount. Um, And obviously with the initiative, the surgeon and the assistant and the anaesthetist wouldn't wouldn't charge a fee. But the the majority of that is actually made up by… The hospital. and hospital costs. I would say at least more than… at least half of that is is hospital costs. Um, and it's quite difficult to get it. Not all hospitals would come on board. Initially, when we were chatting about it and brainstorming, we thought we'd identify one or two hospitals and get them on board as sort of a charity venture. Mm-hmm. And then I said to, to Donovan, no, that's not going to work. Because if I have to go and work in a strange hospital where I don't know the sister, I don't know the setup, I don't know what, what um, suture materials, what instruments you've got, the easiest way for me to help is to actually work in my own environment where – I'm working anyway just to add a case on. And that's why we decided that we would, I don't know, Donovan's much better at that side of things than me. I'm looking after more the medical side yeah. about negotiating with hospitals. And I know he's been to, to talk to, you know, stacks of people. And so if any hospitals are out there listening, any hospital groups, um, I hope you take note of us. Okay. So is this a procedure that can be done at the day clinic or because the patient stays over um, they have to go to one of your bigger hospitals? Well, a lot of the smaller day clinics are, are registered for overnight facilities. So a small breast reduction that you would do for more social reasons um, would could go home on the same day. But most people who have that kind of massive breast reduction, when I'm talking about massive, you can easily remove between two and three kilograms of tissue from each side. So that's My quite word. major surgery. And it's I, like a bag of sugar. Yes, well, it's a big bag of sugar or two bags of potatoes. So wait, now I'm curious, right? Yes. Um, how do you guys actually do the, the, the surgery, you know? Because um, I'm thinking, um, what's this when you get uh, fat removed, right? Yes. That's what I'm thinking in my head. You're thinking of liposuction. Yes, so yes. like when you do a, um, a breast reduction, what does that procedure actually look like then? Okay, this is radio. This is going to be difficult, <laughs> but okay, let me try. Okay. So you can imagine that you've got a, a nipple and an areola mm-hmm. that because the breasts are large and hanging, mm-hmm. is usually too wide and too far low, low down on the chest. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so they, they're pointing downwards. They're pointing downwards sure. and they're saying hello to your umbilicus. Okay. okay. I'm with you. I'm still You're with, with me. You. You're still with me. Okay. So now you're not taking away all the breast tissue. So you can imagine that the excess is skin and the contents, which is either breast tissue or fat. So, so you, can can I try and paint a picture in my head? Yes. Yes. The excess tissue that you're talking about is above the nipple and the areola predominantly because isn't that what stretches? No, the actually you've got excess tissue Absolutely everywhere. Everywhere. But maybe let's move on to what the scars look like afterwards and that will give you a better understanding how we do it. Mm -hmm. So when you've had a breast reduction, especially when you've had very big breasts, you have a scar in the dark brown and the lighter brown 
on the edge of the areola of your nipples. Okay, okay. Cool. Then underneath your breast, from almost your breastbone in the middle, mm-hmm. curving underneath the natural curvature of your breast, you've got a long curved scar that goes upwards, not into your armpit, but okay. nearly to the end of where your breast ends. Okay. Okay. So there's that one long scar. And then there's a vertical scar in the middle from the nipple areola going straight downwards to join that scar at the bottom, making a T. Okay. So we call that an anchor. It's called an anchor type pattern because you can imagine the central T is like the center of the anchor and then that curve is the rest of the anchor. Okay, I'm using my hands, but I hope everybody <laughs> understands yeah, what I'm saying. So because you don't remove all of the breast tissue and the nipple areola in order for you to still have feeling and even some people can even breastfeed after breast reduction, mm-hmm. we keep, we don't, people think we cut your nipple and areola off and move it somewhere else, but we don't. We actually leave it on breast tissue and we move that breast tissue around so that the okay. nipple areola is in the correct place and then we take away in a pattern this, the excess skin and the excess tissue which comes from the bottom actually and from the middle and from the side, leaving sort of the central area, but it's done in a certain shape. Mm -hmm. And that's what gives you, when that anchor type scar is what gives you that beautiful conical shape that a normal breast should look like. Does that, did you get? Yeah, you know, but I'm getting this. The scar, it actually looks like an anchor. Yes. If if you look at the anchor, it's it's a little curve of a straight bar and the little, Yes. Thingy at the top, it looks like a, a donut. Um, so, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what the anchor looks like. The two ladies in the room just, we just <laughs> the two girls are just shaking their heads. There's <laughs> no idea. Anchor does have that little donut ring that you tie the rope onto at the top. So. That's um, uh, uh, some people okay. help me. <laughs> so, um, how does how long does that procedure take, and what is what is the aftercare, and what can go wrong? Okay, so first of all, my other bugbear with why medical aids don't pay for this is this is relative to what they pay for a really cheap procedure. Mm. Okay. All you need is a bit of theater time, a few basic instruments, and some sutures. Okay, It's not like using endoscopy. It's not like fixing a hernia where one piece of hernia mesh will cost you 25,000 rand. Sure. It's not like putting in a new heart valve. I would be guessing at how much a heart valve costs. But if you think of all the surgery that's possible, it's actually one of the cheaper procedures for them, which is why I'm so cross that they won't pay for it. Hmm. Okay. So the procedure takes between two and a half and three hours. Mm -hmm. And normally the patient comes in on the morning of the surgery. Some surgeons will use little drainage pipes afterwards. So you'll go to the ward with drains. Okay. And then some people will send their patients home on the first day. But I keep my patients overnight and they go home the next morning. And then we usually, they've got bandages on. We ask them not to get them wet. And then we see them maybe um, five to six days later and change the dressings. And then there are little sutures that need to be cut maybe a week later. Mm-hmm. In very big breast reductions, you were asking about complications, Mark. Mm-hmm. So the the most common complication is where that – since you're so good at the anchor <laughs> – where that straight line meets the curve at that T. We call that the angle of sorrows. And you often get a little bit of wound breakdown. Okay. And that yeah, because might, it's under the breast. And it's at the most tension point. Okay. So – you might need to have dressings for a couple of weeks afterwards to that small area. In terms of big complications, and this is something we've looked at very carefully with the initiative, that's another reason why we want a relatively normal BMI and not lots of comorbidities. Because if something terrible were to happen and you were to have, say, a pulmonary embolism or you were old and your heart wasn't great and you had a heart attack on the table, mm-hmm. now it becomes an issue where if you aren't on a medical aid, you would be transferred to a state hospital. Mm. And if you were on a medical aid, your medical aid would take over that management and you'd go to ICU in a private hospital. And obviously that becomes very complicated. So we would try to be doing sort of low risk type surgery. Um, I think the biggest complication immediately post-operatively is that you can get bleeding in mm-hmm. the first maybe 48 hours, usually while the patient's still in hospital. What happens is the one 
breast just starts to swell and there's a little bit of bleeding. So you must remember inside the breast there's lots of little blood vessels and we've stopped the bleeding. But maybe you went to the bathroom or maybe you had a big cough and you've like lodged a little clot off. Okay. And from a tiny little vessel it can start to bleed. And then you've got to take the patient back to theatre. Just open the little um, sutures, find the little bleeder, stop the bleeding and stitch it up again. No effect on the final results, Mm -hmm. but obviously nobody wants to go in twice. It's somehow more acceptable if you were having your appendix out and you got a problem and needed to go back. But, I mean, surgery is surgery and things can happen. Mm. So that's one of the reasons why we didn't want to proceed until we had some sort of insurance package. Because, say, there was bleeding and I had to take the patient back. I would still work for free. My anaesthetist would work for free and my assistant would work for free but the hospital would send an account and we wanted to make sure we've got some coverage for that eventuality not the big stuff the big stuff would be transferred Mm -hmm. the little things that not so little but the little things so in this initiative um, when a patient is part of it they will then take out this little insurance policy we, we, we or something that like that we hear that we even may have the insurance policy sponsored but I can't nice. talk about it now. People have been absolutely amazing. Donovan had a breakfast. Unfortunately, I couldn't make it a few months ago. Um, businesswoman or dynamic woman or some something at his. He's got a he's got a training facility that he's built at his offices that can be used for medical training. And he said that the profits from that training center are what's going to fund the breast production initiative, which I think is amazing. That's amazing. So these business people that came and I don't know it was a woman's morning or something like that. And um, these people were amazing. The lawyers offered to write our contracts. Accountants offered to help us with the. It was. It, it's really been. As soon as people know about it, they go, "Yes, I'm on board." And if you chat to, I've chatted to lots of my colleagues, sort of even in different parts of the country. And I said, "Would you do a breast reduction for free?" Yeah, sure. You won't believe how many of my colleagues would say that if the state hospitals ran functionally and efficiently. I can tell you that most of us would go and work a morning in the state for free. But there's no point in having a theatre list and you arrive there at 8 o'clock and there's no water and there isn't this and the anaesthetist is not on time and you like waste everybody else's time. So I think generally people are good and people want to help. So there's a lot of goodwill out there. So, um, yeah. Viv, how can we drive this initiative seeing that you there we on air people are listening to the show yeah what when what can we do can uh, you know what can we ask people to contact uh, either yourself or donovan if they want to get involved that in would this be, that would be lovely um i think they could contact divine medical and i'll get mark to put it up on his social media okay. later today because we'll, we'll i haven't got the number the... on hand okay. um obviously donations will always be be helpful and i mean um um, and then we need skills of various people. And, um, yeah, we'd be happy for anyone to hop along and help. And also anything we haven't thought of. So after the procedure, yes, what happens? Okay. Are, 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 do they need special garments and, and stuff like that? They need um, a kind of a nice supportive bra. But Divine Medical stocks those bras and they'll be sponsoring the bras for this, for this initiative. Okay, because I know that those garments can be quite expensive. They are quite expensive because they've got to be quite supportive. So um, Donovan's going to sort that out. Um, you need a bit of sick leave afterwards. You can't just go back to work. There's always this conception where if – if you go to have a medical procedure that you needed to have, like you needed to have your gallbladder out, and the doctor says, I need you to rest for three weeks. Boy, you rest for three weeks because this is like medical. But somehow when you choose to do something, you mm-hmm. kind of think, I need to be superwoman, so I'm going to have this up, and then tomorrow I'm going to be driving the kids to school and making dinner for everybody, and then I'll also go back to work three days later. And so important to actually heal properly after a procedure like this. So... Most, pay, most people would, if they can, take sort of two to three weeks sick leave afterwards. Also depends what work you're doing. Mm-hmm. If you're the big shot boss, you can walk in with folded arms and tell people to do a few things and people think you're working. But if you maybe have a set job where you have to do a certain amount of paperwork or a certain amount of where you have to drag heavy stuff around or stuff like that, you're going to need longer sick leave. Or you're a hairdresser, for instance, mm. that loses their arms all the time. So it's highly specific for every individual. Okay. Um, for me, there's, there's a couple of questions, and I don't think they have answers. How do we get the medical aids on, on, on board uh, from a 
uh, medical fraternity perspective. What is it that we can do? And, you know, do you guys think that um, patients can, can do anything? If you want to do this procedure and you have a medical aid, how do you approach it? Do you start with your plastic and reconstructive surgeon? Well, if you have a medical aid, you should first phone your medical aid mm-hmm. and say, I'm Mrs. Jones, this is my number, I'm on this plan. And then do I qualify to have a breast reduction on my particular plan? Okay. And then preferably get it in writing. Okay. Then you would make an appointment to see a plastic and reconstructive surgeon and they would write a motivation letter to the medical aid and the medical aid would decide if they would approve it or not. However, we come to the issue that most medical aids in South Africa do not fund this procedure, which is really a bit of a problem. Can I, I, was can in, I, can I sorry if I interject, can I ask which ones you know of that do? Um, I'd, I'm not going to name, you know, I know that Discovery Health has just instituted a pilot program mm-hmm. where they'll make a contribution towards breast reduction, but only on the executive and classic comprehensive plans. I know mm. there's the so there's still T's and C's. There's always it. T's and C's. So it's um, gems. Gems say the Emerald Plan covers if it follows the criteria. One of the higher higher plans in Bank Med. I don't want to. I don't want to start mentioning medical aids because I might leave out one that also okay. sponsored. So I, this isn't a witch hunt against any specific medical aids. It's mm. a concept. And I was involved on Exco with the Association of Plastic and Reconstructive surgeons for about 11 years and in all that time there were constant negotiations with medical aids to try and get them to pay for breast reductions. There are many papers published showing that if you stabilize your core because you're not leaning forward because of the weight Mm. going forward, how much healthier you are, what it does for mental health, there are papers published, it's out there. All those things have been submitted to the medical aids. They just, for some other reason, I think medical aids are run by actuaries who do (laughs) <laughs> do big bean counting and say it's not worth funding, hmm. which is actually so unfair. What's I don't know that? if you remember about a few years ago, I don't know if you know the band Good Luck Live. There's this amazing funky female singer. Yeah. So she went and had a breast reduction and mm-hmm. she posted it all over social media and said what's terrible is that she's got the funding to be able to afford it and yet – um, medical aids weren't come on medical aids come to the table and there was a brief surge of a few months of this being all over social media and medical aids sort of commenting and starting to look at things so 11 years of the um, reconstructive and plastic surgeons fighting had nothing one celebrity and then it looked like we were going somewhere and then it mm. all petered out again I have Jules, a question yeah. though yeah. Um, because we are talking about medical aids do you have to be of a particular age to do this procedure? No. So let's look at the young patients. Yes. So according to the books, breast growth can continue until the age of 19. Mm-hmm. I have done much younger patients around the age of 16. Often young girls have got very big breasts, mm. get them really early. <laughs> and then what I tend to do is I tend to see them and say, when last have you had to buy a new bra, a bigger bra? But as you said, they're all wearing the wrong bra, so they don't know. So if we're not sure, what I say to them is you don't want to do the surgery and then the breasts grow a little bit more again because then you've got big breasts and scars instead of just big breasts. So what I do is I, I see them and I take all their measurements and then I see them six months later. And if nothing's changed, then we write to the medical aid. And we can also say to the medical aid, we've shown that there's been no change in the last six months. Mm-hmm. So that's okay, the younger the patient. But the weight also needs to stay stable yes, in yes. that six months. So nothing needs, nothing should change. Change, yes. And then, as I mentioned before, the older, the sort of slightly middle-aged yes. and older woman, it, it's often their first opportunity that they've had to do something like this. So I've done breast reductions of people in their 60s. So I think it's an across-the-board oh, procedure. Okay. Yeah. Viv, um, contraindications, okay. uh, I presume underlying disease, diabetes being number one because of uh, bad healing of tissue? Not? No, no, not at so all. So as long as the diabetes is controlled? Is well controlled, that's not a problem at all. Okay. I think, um, I think your general health if in coexisting medical conditions um, – I think it's just a general health kind of thing. And obviously if you have a bleeding disorder and mm-hmm. you need you've got you need to have fresh flows and plasma every every time you have surgery so that you clot, then obviously we wouldn't be able to help you on the initiative. We don't have funding for that. But your average normal person 
of a relatively normal weight is usually a good candidate? So, you know what, I think we need to throw in here breast reduction and cancer. Okay, so if we see a woman who is over 40 or around 40, considering a breast reduction, we always make sure they have a mammogram and a sonar before. Okay. So they say we often send the specimens of tissue away to the pathologist, okay, mm-hmm. to analyze. And worldwide, if they send away all the breast reduction specimens, they pick up something in one in 400 patients, but it's usually a benign thing. So we make sure that the patients are adequately screened before we proceed with the procedure. So can I ask the question, for a woman that have um, a BRCA gene, uh, a positive BRCA gene, um, do medical aids pay for mastectomies? I think they do. I so don't do much now, breast recon anymore, now, so I'm not you know up what? on it. They don't have cancer. They might have a higher risk of developing cancer, and yet they can get basically a breast reduction as well as a reconstruction. It's, it's but, a little bit more than a breast reduction. It's a, a subcutaneous mastectomy where you remove breast tissue for a cancer risk is a completely different procedure to a breast reduction. But, it, uh, you know, but the concept is the same. You it, you you decreasing the risk. They don't have cancer. They might get it. But, but you can't do a, um, you know, a breast reduction. Uh, you know what? I don't understand how the medical aids um, put these two things in different categories because yeah. it doesn't make sense. You know, it's, I think it's just like a historical thing that it's it's perceived as cosmetic surgery. In fact, um, I was coming on the show today and chatting to a non-medical friend last weekend, and he said to me, yeah, but that's cosmetic. And I said, no, no, it's not. And off I went on my <laughs> rampage as usual. Um, but, but and I mean, sort of a highly intelligent person from a business world, not from the medical world, mm. you know, just said, oh, no, but that's a cosmetic thing. And I said, no, no, it's not. And I think if you haven't had a family member or someone that you know that really, I think sometimes people don't realize how big how big breasts can get. You know mm. that you that that they, you, if you don't conceptualize it, then you you would you would one would show you one picture and you would understand. Okay, now I have to ask a, a, a question because um, we are your Dolly Partons of the world. Yes, tiny women. With big augmented breasts, yes. Do they suffer with the same kind of um, consequences and side effects of the pain and the blah 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 blah? No, not really. You know why? I don't know. They just love women who want big breast augments tend to be happy with their augments. You know, it's such a personal. It's such a personal thing. So, some people. Some women would really love to have really small, cute, perky boobs. And some people think, no, I'd really like to, when I wore a dress, to have some serious cleavage. And some people want breasts that are grossly out of proportion with their bodies mm. and they're as happy as Larry. And some people just really want small breasts. It's a person, It's like, what car do you want to drive? Everybody, you might want to drive a BMW and I might want to drive a Volvo. Okay. Quick one. So if I've done the uh, procedure... Um, is it advised to kind of do it before, after you've had kids? Because could like I have a kid like five years later, because we do know that like breastfeeding would enlarge the the boobs for some time. So is it going to have an effect on the procedure? Okay, anything that changes hormonally will have an effect on the procedure. Okay, okay. so if you got pregnant, mm-hmm. okay, and had a child, and the strange thing is that. Each pregnancy, something different can happen to your breasts. It depends on the circulating hormone. So you get people who are pregnant, Mm -hmm. and after their pregnancy, it goes back to what it was before. And some people are bigger, and some people are smaller, and some people are droopy. And also you get Mark's department, hormonal changes with menopause, where you normally get an increase in the amount of breast tissue because of Mm. the progesterone. Mm. Okay, So any hormonal change will change your breasts, but you've got to live. So this, I don't really go for that thing where they say a 19-year-old with enormous like size E or F breasts say, no, wait until you've had your children. Come on. You want to have that self-confidence. You want to wear those yes. clothes when you're 19. You're not so worried when you're 51, you That's know. True. So, yes, 
minus side, if you do eventually have a pregnancy, one, you may not be able to breastfeed. A third of people can't breastfeed after breast reduction. But there's also a study showing that people with really huge breasts sometimes struggle to breastfeed. You mm. would think that it's just a milk collection, but it's not, okay? So I think you have to fit it in with your lifestyle, and you can't put your life on hold until you've had your children. You might need, if you were fortunate enough to be able to afford it, you might have all your children and have a little revision or have a little lift, or you might not. But I think it's so difficult to be young these days. You've got to be clever and cool and smart and look great and all the rest of it. And I think it you have no idea how young patients' whole personality changes after this procedure. They've suddenly got that confidence. Um, mom will tell me that they're going out again. They're seeing their friends again. They're not shy to go and jump in the pool and swim. Mm. You know, we've also mm. got to love life. You've also got to live. Yeah. And are there any, like, myths around, like um – naturally reducing the breast because I know growing up mm. my grand used to be like just run if you just run you won't have big boobs <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if like <laughs> there's all sorts of myths and every so often the internet sends cells this um, breast reducing pills okay so you buy these pills and your breasts are supposed to get smaller oh, wow. well yeah but actually a hormone um they interfere with the hormone hormones. levels. And then there are people who also say that, um, I mean, it's so cute that I know there are kids who went and had breast augments in matric, okay? And then they come back after the holidays into matric with a nice little cute set of boobs and they told all their friends, no, my mom got these pills for me. But meanwhile, they've had the surgery. So there aren't many. If you've got really big breasts, there aren't really any other solutions. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, Viv, let's – we're starting to run out of time. Um, let's talk about this initiative. Right. It's the Divine Medical Breast, Breast Reduction, Reduction Initiative. Initiative. Um, it's run by Donovan Fasahi from Divine Me Medical. Medical. Um, it's in its it, it's in the launch phase at the moment, or are we still in the planning phase. No, we kind of planned. We're in the getting the documents together phase. So we're getting okay. the insurance finalized. And then with the insurance, there are going to be obviously a whole lot of protocols that have to be written about yes. how we select the patients and yes. how I screen the patients. Because I think we're going to end up with a database of so many requests that mm. once you deemed that you would be suitable, we'd have to have like a random selection to make it fair to see who would get who would get the surgery and who wouldn't get the surgery. Because I, I surely expect that the demand will be far greater than what we can provide. Yeah, I okay. was just going to ask you, can people start signing up Not to become yet. part of um, – you know what, the database? We're not quite there yet. Okay, okay so, so we, we need will bring you back, back the moment we that need, we're ready. We need like we need to make it very clear to the patient what we are going to give them, that yeah. we're going to see you, we're going to look after you, but after six weeks you kind of you're on your own. The plastic surgeon doesn't have to see you again. The plastic surgeon what what their duties or whatever are going to be and everybody's gonna to have to have everything very firmly laid down. That's what our lawyer friends are going to do for us. And we're hoping to start sometime next year, hopefully early next year. But you can imagine that the amount of paperwork that goes behind something like that. And this would this would be uh, an initiative that runs countrywide or will it be launched here in Gauteng first? I think Donovan and I will start in Gauteng because we can keep beady eyes on everything. And I think we'll start the first few months in Gauteng. And as we see how the system rolls, because you know how you always find a system glitch with something mm. new. Yes. Once we've got everything ironed out and going smoothly, we've got surgeons all over the country who are happy to help. So I am, um, and I think it will also develop, um, depend on how much funds we have, you know, and and we don't know how accommodating the hospitals are going to be. Mm. Are any of the hospitals going to say, listen, we'll waive the fee? Or are they going to say, we'll give you a 50% fee? Or we don't know yet because we haven't gone into individual negotiations with the specific hospital, because we would first identify the surgeon and then go to the hospital of that surgeon. Mm. That's sort of the, the plan. We think that's going to be the most seamless way on a day-to-day -day basis to run it. Okay, so I am going to make um, a request for people who do want to get involved from 
uh, a logistics perspective. Someone who are working with either hospitals or medical aids who are surgeons, if you want to get involved in this, um, contact us at the T Clinic. We'll pass you on to Dr. Vivian or to uh, Donovan. And, um, you know, if you have good ideas as to how we can maybe start raising funds, whether it's through women's events, et cetera, et cetera, if you are one of these people that want to maybe host an event, um, you know what, let us know about this. Viv, it, it's a, a topic that I know is incredibly close to your heart. And um, I wish you all the very best. I know that you're going to make big changes to a lot of women's lives. And um, we will get you and Donovan back maybe early in the new year to launch this initiative with you guys. And, um, you know, but then we can get our patients and our listeners involved at the same time. So um, any closing comments from, from your side today? No, Mark, just thank you for this opportunity to actually highlight what we're trying to start, even though we're in our infancy phase, phases. There's always someone out there in the, you know, who's listening who could perhaps help us with something. We're kind of looking for a little bit of help at the moment. I, th I think the patients will stream in as soon as they know about it. Um, and, and thank you so much for this opportunity. It is our absolute pleasure. Sims, anything about boobs that you want to ask? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> this was very enlightening. I think I enjoyed this conversation particularly because a lot of the times we always talk about enhancing the boobs and, you know, getting a boob job and looking pretty and whatnot. And we ever talk about the downside of actually having boobs. You know, like sometimes it's just like, yeah, I have them, but they're not that great. <laughs> And yeah. this is what you can do. I, I actually think that it's a misnomer talking about breast enhancement as only making them bigger. Mm. I think um, enhancing big boobs into smaller, more perky ones <laughs> yes. is also an enhancement. Yes. So, you know what, I, I think we need to, to keep that in mind. Okay, so next week we are actually going to do a rebroadcast as I will be um, away watching Wales for a couple of days. In other words, I'm going to stand in front of the mirror and lift my shirt. So um, <laughs> I think we are doing a rebroadcast on a um, topic that I did with one of our other colleagues, Dr. Alfreda Faree, and we're going to talk about sculpture and biostimulators and how they fit into aesthetic treatments. Um, until we back, we wish you all the best in health. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.